Welcome to the Modern Carnivore Podcast, a guide for those interested in hearing more about hunting, fishing, and other paths to eating more responsibly. Now, here's your host, Mark Norquist. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of the podcast. This episode was actually uh, recorded out at Game Fair this last week. Game Fair is an event that has been going on for 40 years in Ramsey, Minnesota. And uh, it was created by a gentleman named Chuck Delaney and his wife, Laura Lai, and um, very much patterned after the British style of fall game festival that celebrates the rural and and hunting lifestyle. And they started this about 40 years ago. Uh, Unfortunately, Lorelai, Chuck's wife, just passed away this last year, but he was there. um, And I'm joined in this podcast recording by Rob Dreeslein, who is the editor, president um, of Outdoor News, and Rob had presented Chuck an award, a Lifetime Achievement Award, the prior week at this event. But um, it's it's a really neat festival and something that I think if you get a chance and you haven't been there yet, try to check it out some year. It, it happens in August always. Uh, well, it really attracts people from the Midwest primarily. There are a lot of people from all around the country that you'll see at this event and very much focused on all types of hunting, but definitely uh, a lot of bird hunters, uh, falconers, um, every kind of manufacturer you can imagine was at this event. And Rob and I in today's discussion really just touch on a lot of different things. And so um, it's a little bit of a of a mix of politics, policy, conservation issues, and any number of different things that are going on. So again, um, hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with Rob Dreesline from Outdoor News at Game Fair 2022. Welcome to this episode of the Modern Carnivore Podcast. This is actually a, a special episode because we're uh, it's a co-production with Outdoor News. I'm joined here today by the uh, president, editor, man who does it all. He delivers the papers <laughs> at Outdoor News, Rob Dreesline. Yeah, thank you, Mark. It's good to be here. I'm, it's another great year of Game Fair. We've had a couple of kind of rainy Fridays to kick it off, but I'm optimistic about uh, the rest of the weekend and... Uh, looking forward to uh, chatting with you about all sorts of topics here over the next hour. So you introduced where we're at today. So for those who are listening, um, you know, we've got a lot of people from the Midwest who listen from Minnesota. They're very likely familiar with Game Fair. People in other areas may not be. Um, so Game Fair, it's it's a 40-year anniversary this year, right? Yep, 40 years. Uh, Chuck Delaney launched it with his wife, partner, Lorelai Delaney, 40 years ago, 1982. Uh, they got the idea after touring the UK and visiting the British version of Game Fair and said, why don't we have one of those in Minnesota? They had the grounds. They had the Armstrong Ranch kennels here in Ramsey and said, we got the space for it. We got water for dogs to retrieve in. We got space for folks to shoot some guns. People maybe can hear that in the background. Uh, and it took, I think, a few years for it to really take off, but it, it certainly has. And it's been a great right of late summer going into early fall now for more than four decades. It is a neat event. So, I mean, there's probably, I don't know, hundreds of tents set up Mm -hmm. uh, with vendors of all types. So we've got 
you know, firearms manufacturers, uh, ammunition, dog kennels. Uh, there are contests. There are shooting contests. Mm-hmm. There are uh, retriever contests. The, 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 the dock jumping the is dock very, jumping. very popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly. legendary. Yeah. yeah. Saul was just looking at that earlier, the big <laughs> splash contest he was curious about. So Way cool. Um, so you last week, actually, so this is two weekends in a row, last mm-hmm. Friday through Sunday, and then this Friday through Sunday. Yep. Um, you presented Chuck with, a, with an award, right? Correct. About 10 years ago, we started our Outdoor Leaders Award, where we typically recognize a club or an organization. Uh, back or uh, uh, the Southeast Minnesota Deer Organization, Bluffland's Whitetails, received it one year. Lots of times it's a small local club. This year, given what has transpired over the past year in Chuck's life, losing Lorelei, as well as this big anniversary, we thought it was time to create the one and only Lifetime Achievement Award version of that annual thing that we present and uh, we gave it to chuck delaney and game fair because of all the incredible donations that chuck has made over the years to conservation groups uh, and just what he's done for the outdoor industry he's uh he's a fabulous guy and an absolute legend been around forever and it's it's an honor to give him that award there's a nice spread on it in uh, this week's august 19th edition of outdoor news where we explain the award and really do a nice profile on Chuck. Well, in, in in that piece that you wrote, I love how he mentions, you know, when they started it 40 years ago, it's a bunch of guys coming out, and they really worked hard to make it this family event. And it is. I mean, you look at all the people, you know, uh, it's people can bring their guns, they bring their dogs, they bring their kids, they bring their spouses. It's very much a, a family event, which is pretty cool. Absolutely. You look around, that's that's what you see. You see folks of all shapes and sizes and dogs of all shapes and sizes. That's what makes this, uh, I think, a really great event. I had my daughter out here last Friday, and she had the time of her life looking at the puppies. You never know what you're going to see. I was just uh, chatting with a guy who had, what, an English Cocker Spaniel. I saw a couple big old poodles go by. Looked like they were having a good time. Dobermans. You, yeah, you, that's right. We had the Dober- You see all sorts of breeds. Obviously, a lot of labs, golden retrievers, yeah. uh, short hairs. But uh, all dogs are welcome. All dogs are welcome. Very, very true. So I think what we wanted to do today with the podcast is just talk about, um, you know, some of the issues that are going on here in Minnesota that I think apply to all areas of the country a lot of times. Um, sometimes they're, they're relevant here just to a specific region. But what, uh, what are some of the big things that you guys have been talking about lately? I think just tying it into game for I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but we should chat about the fact that we did not have a governor's debate out here this year. Uh, we typically have one when it's a, when there's a U.S. Senate race or gubernatorial race right here in the main seminar tent. We've done it at least a half dozen times since the turn of the century. They've all been very well received, and there have been a couple of times where we've had an incumbent governor that it hasn't happened. And this is another one of those. Uh, we were disappointed not to get Governor Walls out here. Uh, Jensen, however you feel about his politics, immediately jumped on board, said he'd be here. Uh, it was scheduled for tomorrow originally, uh, but we couldn't get the Walls campaign on board. So I'm disappointed that we weren't able to pull that off this year. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, uh, I think, a, frus- a frustrating item uh, because it is, I think, regardless of, of your politics, the outdoors in Minnesota, outdoor recreation, specifically hunting and fishing, is such a big part of our economy. Uh, it's a big part of the culture. 
And it's important to have those debates. And uh, so it's unfortunate that we're not having that debate this year. It was a good opportunity every year to get some of these politicians on the record, specifically on some of our topics. And, you know, I think back to uh, we've had a couple governor candidates on the record say that they would abide by the recommendations of the Sarge Sam's Heritage Council. Right. And we've they've stuck to that. And that that has happened at Game Fair. There was a story in the Star Tribune yesterday about whether or not uh, Walls had bowed out or if he had just not committed. I was quoted in the piece. And there was a there was something I shouldn't read the damn comment boards, but I do. <laughs> no, and there was a comment someone said Game Fair Lake Farm Fest is hostile right wing territory. We know where they stand. And that was really, the headline? I, no, this was this was a comment okay. on, at the end okay. of the story. And that really tripped my trigger because we have really done a good job out here of being nonpartisan and asking hard questions of both candidates. I think anybody who's been out here before will say, you know, Ron Sharon and I typically ask the questions, that it's been well-moderated, we haven't gone off on abortion and, and riots in Minneapolis or COVID or that sort of thing, which is what happened at FarmFest and would not have happened out here. We'd had, you know, good chatter about solid questions affecting our demographic if it had occurred. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and that is that is the one thing I think, generally speaking, we do well as a hunting fishing community is staying focused you know sticking to our knitting what are we talking about we're talking about conservation we're talking about outdoors we're talking about opportunities to make sure that they're available to get out and do what we love and we're not going to get distracted by the other things everybody's got different political leanings sure and let's respect that and Mm -hmm. there's some differences there but i think the one thing that we could do is we can have common interest around the outdoors and around conservation that's the beauty of it yeah and so yeah it it is disappointing we won't have it so okay so next year the the, um the dnr did announce that the governor's uh office with minnesota tourism and with dnr did announce recently they're doing the governor's pheasant opener bringing that back so i was glad to see that because i think with covid and everything We've seen some of those events go by the wayside, mm-hmm. which again, here in Minnesota, for those who don't live here, you know, there's always been a good tradition in, in recent decades of doing events around deer hunting opener, pheasant opener, fishing opener, etc. Um, you know, now they're getting politicized a bit to a certain extent, and there's probably some good reasons and a lot of not so good reasons, but I'm glad to see that the pheasant opener down in Nobles County, headquartered out of Worthington, is going to be back on the schedule. And I don't know, maybe the campaign thought that they were checking the sportsman's box, you know, by, by calling that event. And, of course, they did just announce a, uh, a fishing opener. I see we've got Mark Holston here. Perhaps he'll join us in a little bit. We can, we can talk to him about that some more. But uh, there is going to be a governor's fishing opener in Mankato, uh, I believe, is the plan. And Correct. I'm sure that's Mr. Walls' hometown. I'm sure he hopes he'll still be governor and, and can uh, be a part of that. But we'll see what happens. Can't say a fish much down in Mankato, so it's a good good opportunity for that area of the state to uh, to get some get some cred on, on yeah. the fishing front. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, again, you know, outdoor news, what I love is you guys, I, I don't have a lot of bandwidth to stay up on the issues like you do. That's what I, whenever, whenever I have a question about an issue, you're always a great resource and outdoor news is a great resource. Um, so what are some of the other things from your standpoint that, that are going on right now? This, uh, our top story this week about a couple of the Ojibwe bands closing their wild rice areas to early season teal and Canada goose hunters. It's what Leech Lake ban and I believe the white earth ban. Uh, that's pretty big. And 
You know, it's it's a tough one. You and I are both wild racers. Yep. Uh, I, I think we are maybe you want to be kind of sympathetic. No one wants to be out push pulling around uh, a wild rice bed with with shot going off around them. I, I think we can respect that. At the same time, if you read uh, Tori McCormick's story, uh, you'll see that in the past, at least one of these bands had their own early season goose hunting season during the wild <laughs> rice harvest. Uh, so you're like, well, reconcile that for me a little bit. The state also pays a solid chunk of change to the Leech Lake Band, you know, to, to have access, fish and wildlife hunting access uh, on some of these properties. So it, it's a little concerning, and perhaps the most concerning part for me in that article was, I believe it was John Devney from Delta Waterfall telling Tori that, you know, where's the DNR on this advocating for sportsmen's interest on this? Uh, you know, at least going to bad force. Maybe they'll lose, uh, but but at least taking a shot at it. And John pointing out they wrote a letter last year to the bands as well as the DNR, and John being quoted by Tory is it's the, the DNR still hasn't responded to Delta's letter from last year. So I might rant about that in my column next week a little bit, Mark. So do you think, I mean, do you think right now, uh, do you feel like there's a little bit of short shrift, not lack of attention for the outdoor hunting community, it seems like, in, in certain certain spaces? Well, there's a, that's a big one. Yeah, it yeah, is a big Mark. one. Uh, and, of course, the original plan was to get Sarah Stroman out here uh, last right. week. We got rained out, so we weren't able to do this, and Sarah was not available uh, this week, the DNR commissioner. Yeah, uh, that's that's going down the rabbit hole, But um, and, and I'll, I'll be blunt. I do think this, and, and everyone loves Sarah, and this administration has obviously been had to deal with the whole COVID thing for about two years of, of the first term. But I do feel like at times that improving hunting and fishing isn't not necessarily the first thing that some of the DNR brass think about when they wake up in the morning. Yeah, and I think you might be right. And that's where, like you said, I mean, all the people that you know that I know within, you know, here in Minnesota specifically, within resource management and, and, and leaders, um, great people who are fighting a lot of alligators. And, sure. and I think that's where maybe sometimes the the hunt fish community maybe feels like we're not getting enough attention just because it's not rising to the level of, of, of urgency as some of the other issues. Like you said, you know, dealing with the pandemic, I mean, social social issues, et cetera. There's a lot of, there's a lot of complexity these days. But I do hope that, you know, that I know there's people that care greatly and want it to be a priority who are in positions of leadership. And, and I think hopefully given the opportunities uh, we can, you know, continue to keep things headed in the right path. And I was looking forward to maybe pressing Sarah on some of that, you know, what's, Absolutely. what's the vision for a second term yeah. if, if she and the walls administration get one and perhaps we need to ask those questions at outdoor news, put it in print uh, or maybe uh Record another podcast with her. We'll we'll get a crack at some of those questions. Yeah, I think so. I think we we should get her on the get her on the podcast, and I think she'd probably be open to that. So, how about um how about CWD? You know, we're heading into the fall. Talk about waterfall early season a little bit. You know, we've got some of the experimental seasons. We'll see. You know, with the early teal. I know teal numbers, I believe, are down, um, but we've got yeah. this early season. Um, so a lot of complexity around that. Um, you know, looking further out into into the fall. Um, you know, for, for rifle and shotgun. Um, what's, uh, what's going on right now with CWD that, uh, that you're seeing? Well, let's see. We've got kind of co-management of it by the DNR and the Board of Animal Health now. Uh, legislatively, we were disappointed. There have been a couple attempts the past couple of years to try and uh, limit 
the expansion of new deer farms in the state. I believe there was also a vote on uh, you know stopping the import of, of additional deer. And both of those went down pretty much on bipartisan or on, on partisan votes, which was unfortunate. Uh, if we had had a gubernatorial forum out here, that was probably something I would have pushed both candidates on. I don't think Walls has led enough on CWD. He hasn't invested a lot of political capital in it. I think his retort would be anything that they try would be DOA with the with the Republican Senate, which is, you know, that's where those both of those votes went down. And it's something I would have liked to have pressured Jensen on uh, because it was it was mostly Republican legislators who voted, you know, against those two things I just mentioned. So We've, we've got more CWD in new portions of the state. There's more CWD protocol that's been detailed in Outdoor News. I, beyond that, Mark, I'd encourage folks to read the regulations thoroughly uh, before they go deer hunting this fall. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And, you know, Minnesota Deer Hunters has been good, uh, in, I think, in terms of their position on it, I think strong, uh, of, of how we need to manage it effectively. And that's where it's at. It's, it's managing it and trying, to, trying to, to limit it so we don't have it spread everywhere, right? I, I would point out, I think Craig Engwall, the executive director there, has been very well versed on CWD and been a really strong voice. It will be interesting to see what happens with MDHA and their stance on how aggressive they want to be with CWD management now that Craig is leaving. He, he just took a job with the uh, Board of Water and Soil Resources. So I think that's a loss for BHA. I'm, I'm happy for Craig, though. <laughs> uh, Minnesota Deer Hunters, you mean? I'm sorry, did I get my acronyms mixed up? <laughs> exactly. Sorry about we that. The, we got the acronym soup here sorry going. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, you mentioned uh, the band shutting wild rice bed areas yep. for the early yep. hunting. Uh, that's obviously related to harvesting wild rice. You know, overall, we've got a pretty poor crop, is what I think. That's what I've been hearing. Oh, and you yeah. have too, right? Yeah, and you and I. Let's face it. There's the wild rice mafia here in this state. <laughs> And you and I both know all the main sources. <laughs> and so I think we're hearing from the same people, Mark. But, yeah, it's, it sounds really poor. I mean, I, I talked to uh, a guy up at uh, the, the Fond du Lac band. Uh, he said, I mean, he used some expletives to describe uh, how it's looking uh, on a lot of band properties. It sounds like just real inconsistent rain and, and inconsistent water levels. And yeah. if, if you get high water at the wrong time at the certain stage of wild rice, it, it pulls it up by the roots, and it's a, it's a fragile plant. So... And it was very dry down here. I'm actually maybe hearing better reports closer to the metro. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, you get maybe a half hour, 45 minutes north of the metro where it was dry, but at least it was consistent that maybe that's not as bad. But the northern third of the state, I'm hearing, yeah, pretty lousy rice crop. Yeah, I, I was just looking at some pictures this morning. There's a website uh, with uh, I think the bands up in the up in the Arrowhead region mm-hmm. have have a monitoring process, and uh, just looking lake by lake, and they actually have monitors going out taking pictures. And it's there's a lot of lakes where it's you know a little little stem here, pretty, a little stem pretty sparse. There. Yeah, yeah, pretty sparse. So that's unfortunate because we're going to try to do a little bit more of a of a event around it maybe this fall with even a, like a little pint night up north with uh, Greg Folly. And, mm-hmm. and we've been talking about different things like that for a while and get people aware of and understand how ricing works, which I think is a pretty cool tradition here in, in Minnesota, uh, m- much more so than just about anywhere else. Absolutely. It's really a uniquely Minnesota Minnesotan thing. I, I know from our papers in Wisconsin and Michigan, they're doing things just to try to maintain a few beds so that a, you know a few bands can go out and, and participate in this, you know, traditional ritual which is part of their culture and 
it's really hard to maintain some of those rice beds. We we don't we should not take for granted the great wild rice we have in Minnesota. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you, you mentioned Tory McCormick earlier, uh, regular uh, regular provider. Tory Mac, yep, yeah, he's that. awesome. Um, always uh, used to a former Delta yes. uh, employee. Yeah, that's he was right. Editor of the magazine, right? Yeah, Tory's originally from Shakopee. Uh, sometimes, yeah, I live in Eden Prairie. I'll take take my little conceited shots at Shakopee just to get him going. Uh, <laughs> but he's a great guy. Um, I, we have a lot of mutual friends. Uh, great journalist. I think he did a couple years in the U.S. Army. And then he was out at um, Delta Waterfall. He was one of the assistant editors of their magazine. He, he was also an outdoors writer at the Aberdeen newspaper for he a few was. years in South that. Dakota. So he really knows duck policy and South Dakota D- Dakota's grassland management better than almost any other journalist. He's really good. He's back in the Twin Cities now. So he was talking about, um, he was, oh, this is his piece, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's right, on, on the band's closing uh, closing hunting access. Um, has he been talking about numbers, too, I haven't seen lately? If he's, it, what, what, are the, what are the numbers looking like? Have you... Are, for Waterfall? For, duck, for Waterfall, yeah. So the DNR had a release on that fairly recently. Of course, we had a two-year gap where we did not do our right. surveys here in Minnesota. So you're comparing everything to 2019, and anyone who's reported on ducks over the past century knows it fluctuates a lot from year to year uh, it is down mallards were down blue wing teal were down even more i want to say bwt were down 28 percent right, i think really overall true. ducks were down 10 eh, percent. i think they were in line with the long-term average though uh, and then uh, geese were down too you know what I, I got one little beef the uh they also had the Numbers of trumpeter swans, which they said was twenty five thousand, um, they're all over the place on that number. Yeah, because they know there's people like me saying <laughs> we got a lot of swans, and I I think we're well over thirty thousand. Yeah, uh, and you know the population seems to double about every ten years, and I'm the only one who seems to be saying when are we going to start eating these things? They look they look pretty tasty. I would agree. They knocked the hell agree. out of wild rice. Beds. Oh my gosh! They've they've come into my area where I deer hunt, uh, up at my hunting shack, uh, where um, when I was when I was a kid, I don't remember ever seeing a swan. Now oh, there's oh. a big resident flock there, and I'll be a mile away in the deer stand from the lake, and when those things get off the lake, oh, yeah. oh my gosh, the the clatter that that sure. makes it's sure. loud. Yeah, and, and they're sacrosanct. It's like illegal to say anything disparaging about them like right. they're holy and and yeah i'm glad they're here it's a great wildlife success story but there isn't a whole lot of other things that live in a in a small wetland with a couple of swans right you know they drive other things out you could make the case maybe we, you know maybe geese need a little pressure out there but we need all the ducks we can get i just think at some point we're going to have to have a discussion about you know, shooting a few swans. Have uh, along the lines of big birds, uh, have you seen any <laughs> any any uh, recent counts on the Sandhill Crane Front? Because it seems like they're doing better and better each year, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't seen any recent data. It's out there. It's just a matter of someone reporting on it. it might be a good column topic for me. We have a hunt now in Minnesota. Yeah. That may have started back in the Holston era. I'd have to see exactly how long that's that's been going on. Uh, it's more in the Northwest. Um, I, it's been fairly well received. I think uh, we, we take a few birds every year. You know, there's two flocks in Minnesota. Yeah. And there's the, the, I'm sorry, I don't have the exact names of them, but there's, there's more of an Eastern flock that migrates down through the South 
southeast part of the country that we really don't put any hunting pressure on. And there's folks saying there's no reason we couldn't do that. They get hunted in Tennessee and other states, too. Right. Same birds, yeah. 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 Moving, moving through. Um, grouse, I think, are uh, the, the, the spring counts were pretty good on, on the rough grouse front. Right? Yeah, they were surprisingly decent. I think everyone expected them to be lower. Yeah, in the 10-year uh, cycle, that would have said that they right. were supposed to be down, but they right. were up. Yeah, that cycle seems to be all over the place yeah. these days, doesn't yeah. it? So a, a lot of factors can influence grouse numbers throughout the summer, too, now. Uh, you know, moisture, heat, that sort of thing. But I think folks are cautiously optimistic about a decent yeah, I hope so. Season. I hope to get get up in the woods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, what else is uh, topically relevant nowadays uh, in the in the uh, state of outdoor news? What else is on our on our list here today, <laughs> Mister uh, Mister Norquest? Uh, we haven't we haven't talked about fish yet. We well, I wonder if we should uh, invite Mister Nor- uh, Mister Holston up. Yeah, to chat for a that moment. Sound, that sounds good. Want to join us, Mark? Mark Holston is the executive director of Minfish. A fairly new organization uh, that is focused on trying to improve fishing here in our fine state of Minnesota. Uh, Mark, of course, was the DNR commissioner during the second plenty term. I'm trying to think, that would have been what year was that, Mark? Was that 04 to 08? Uh, no, that was uh, 07 to. January of 11. Okay. All right. And there he is. So, yeah, Mark Holston joining us now. Former, he was the deputy commissioner during the first Palenti term and uh, the uh, the commissioner himself for four years during the second four years. It was, that was a good, that was a good eight years, Mark. I've said that before. I thought you and Miriam both did a fine job. And the key word for me during those eight years was accessibility. You guys were, had a very accessible agency. Well, I, I appreciate that. And we, uh, we strove to do that. Uh, we think... Uh, that accountability of, of having access and, and having that voice come from the agency is is imperative to the to the hunting and fishing public of what's going on out there. Yeah, yeah, and I've I've been around for a while now. I've dealt with some agency DNRs that aren't that accessible, so that uh, that definitely stands out. But started at Minfish was it earlier this year, Mark? When, you know, I started March first. Okay, this year. good, good. So it's been. Uh, Almost what five six months now? Yeah, yeah, so, and it's yeah. it's been great having you back in the mix, uh, and uh, you know, the, so the session you guys definitely had some priorities during the session. Let's let's talk about that the hatcheries and public accesses, and it looked like we were on track, and then the session the bottom just kind of fell out on it, didn't it? Yeah, it un- unfortunately that that's the the best way to describe it. Uh, we are on we were on track. We are on track. Uh, we we had to do a lot of education with the legislature, getting them to recognize what they haven't been doing uh, over the last 10 years. And that, that was really eye-opening to me, getting into the system now or re-engaging into the, the fisheries side of it. Um, you know, I'm on Lassard Sam's uh, Outdoor Heritage, so I'm involved on the, on the habitat perspective. I'm seeing those projects and, and those opportunities uh coming through every year but specifically on the on the fishing side to see the lack of investment that the legislature traditionally always invested either general fund or bonding dollars into hatchery maintenance and public water accesses they basically walked away from that the last 10 years right and it has put us in a very precarious situation in our 15 fish hatcheries across Minnesota in, in their trajectory, the deferred maintenance 
uh, costs to rehabilitate those and rebuild some of the ancient ones, uh, that cost is just skyrocketing. Sure. And without the legislature doing something this year, we got good penetration with, with a number of key legislators, and they were responding. I think we were going to see something in the bonding bill specifically to hatcheries. Um, not as much as I would have liked to have seen, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of reading tea leaves because we never saw right. a number on paper. Right. So I'm just kind of going through my conversations, reliving them with, with legislators and what I was anticipating to see. But uh, pushing that off now, that we've lost now an entire construction year. Right. Oh, Not yeah. just that, that funding. They, they, they punted for a year. That sets us off. Uh, another year out and that deferred maintenance both in the hatcheries and the public water accesses um, I think the DNR number there's 1700 public water accesses that have a, a use life of about 15 to 20 years they figured it would take nearly 100 years on current management <laughs> to okay. redo each That's one of those really disappointing wow. well, and there's just not the money to do it um, within the system. I mean, so. So, Mark, stepping back for a second, uh, jumping right into MinFish, sure. this organization that, that you're leading now. So, um, what is MinFish? Why is it important? Let's step back and talk sure. about, you talk about, so the last 10 years, we, we just, legislatively, we have not invested in the fishing infrastructure here in a state where fishing is king. So why does MinFish exist and how is that relevant today? You know, MinFish exists because a collective group of uh, people who are very passionate about angling watched, who used to engage and does do engage with the legislature on a variety of different issues, but saw this lack of voice uh, in, in in the fishing community at specifically at the legislature. And so they banded together and created this group in an, or, in an effort to provide that voice, to be that squeaky wheel uh, in the system. And because without that, the, the legislature just, they respond to squeaks, and you, you need to be there. And is so, the group primarily advocacy f- on the political front? Is that the primary No, we're, well, we're a, we're a two-part group. We're a foundation that focuses on education, um, and then we have a, a coalition side that advocates uh, p- specifically politically at the Capitol. So we're, we're kind of a two-part group. We have two funding streams that uh, we, we take donations into and utilize those dollars for that. So um, I do a little bit of both. I'm doing a lot of education, doing generic education with the public and with the legislature. Uh, but then we do have some very specific things that we're lobbying on, trying to cross over into that, that lobbying stream to to advocate for those things. So it's it's kind of a gray area, but you, you um, it's two different arms. So what are the, from a policy standpoint, what, what are the reasons in your mind that there hasn't been investment in hatcheries, in water access, et cetera, over the last 10 years? You know, I, I don't know this, but I suspect that, you know, 10, well, it was, what, 15 years ago we passed the um, Constitutional Amendment mm-hmm. for the Outdoor Heritage Fund. 2008, yeah. 2008. And I think that, that kind of created this, um, 
<laughs> in the back of legislators' mind, they said, we checked that off the box. The money's over there. Yeah. And they haven't really asked the question, wait a minute, these dollars are for this? Those dollars are for that. Even and, though it was written in of it being it, supplemental. Right. Not well, being, it was not supposed to supplant. Yes. Well, it, the supplement supplant issue, that's always... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a joke. That's a, that's a, that's a, we, could, we need to get a bunch of uh, attorneys in here to, who are familiar <laughs> with... Uh, well, not just attorneys, probably accountants to come in and, yeah, and help right. us with that one. Um, but, no, the, the Lassard Sams was really about Habitat. It was really about conservation, habitat, on the ground, you know, trying to protect water, trying to get grass on the landscape, um, and, and forest management or, or forest protecting forests, uh, that landscape up there. So it, that's really what Lassard Sams was about. But I think in the back of their mind, they see this big number going that, you know, here, look at all that money that's going to the DNR. Well, it's really not. Uh, it's going to a lot of different organizations that, that come in and, and are doing a lot of natural resource work. But on the other hand, it's the, the, the brick and mortar aspect of natural resources conservation, the, the brick and mortar aspects of game management, fishing game management, is, is getting lost. It's been lost. And that's where Minfish really is stepping in. Not coming in on a specific of... We're not here for walleye or muskie or trout. We're here for all of it. Mm. And that, that's what kind of separates. we got a lot of great fishing organizations in the state that do wonderful work. I was down in the southeast and looked at a couple uh, uh, trout unlimited projects. Phenomenal. I mean, just gorgeous partnership between trout unlimited and the DNR and the work that they did. Were, it, it just, it's beautiful compared to what was there. And the trout are responding in that in that particular stretch of the river where this this habitat work got done. But to the point is, we don't have that generic outlook for the average angler in the state, and that's where Minfish has stepped in and trying to fill that void and fill that voice. That's great, Mark. Before we've got, I know we've got another guest we want to get to here, but before we let you go, first, thanks for joining us. But if folks want more information on Minfish work, can they get it? And then a quick. Any optimism for the next legislative session to get some of this done? Well, on first part, uh, Minfish, just go to minfish.com uh, or to Minfish Facebook, uh, and you'll, you'll start to get into the system and see some of the stuff that we're working on and promoting. Free memberships, uh, right? Free membership. We provide a free membership for people to, we, we encourage them to join in so that they can get our updates and our newsletters and see what's going on. But at the same time, uh, it costs money. And so we do need resources, we do need donations, and I'd encourage everyone to, to step in. We just got involved in a Supreme Court case that uh, we weren't expecting, we weren't budgeting. We uh, took on about an eight to $10,000 obligation yeah. to fight a Supreme Court case um, dealing with public water accesses, and it's a big deal, but uh, we need to come up with yeah. some additional revenue for that. So donations are a big part of it, but yep, Free memberships are also available. Okay. The other question was? The uh, legislative session. <laughs> legislative any, any, session. Any yeah, reason the, to be optimistic? You know what? There is, um, just based upon the background work that we did this last year with legislators and ourselves, in discovering what didn't occur. Sure. We've got a great story that resonated with legislators immediately. It resonates with the public. And... 
with this new legislative session coming up, I think we're going to be able to step right in, demonstrate um, that lack of investment, and, and, and turn that curb. You know, fishing in Minnesota, nearly, well, if you add the kids involved, unlicensed unlicensed people being kids, mm-hmm. we're at over 25% of the population sure. in Minnesota buys a, hunting, buys a fishing license and goes fishing. Yeah. I got one of them right here. There you go. So that's <laughs> that's a big number. Yeah, um, absolutely. When you look at the economy of what fishing does to the state, it's somewhere between 4.2 and 4.4 billion into our state with economy. A with yeah. a B. Yep. It is a big number. When you put the boats that we buy, the gas that we buy, the bait, the tackle, um, the resorts that we go sure. to, it's a big number. And when we look at what comes back into fishing, that number is zero. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You put licenses aside. Licenses right. are not part of that. Yeah. We buy our license. That's the basic fish management. But we get out of four point two, four point four billion dollars in this state economy, we get zero back yeah, investment was, into into our state. It was not a good session. Yeah, Mark. Thanks for spending uh, a segment with it one more time. Website minfish.com. There you go. Thanks for all you do and all the minfish does. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks. Oh, good luck. Yeah, Mark Holston. Former, yeah, former DNR commissioner, now executive director over at uh, Minfish, and they're doing some good work there, Mark. They really are, you know, and and it's w- when when the organization was started, I was curious as to whether, uh, which Mark just answered my question, which was I was curious if it was going to be species specific. I'd heard things about walleyes and things like that, and I wasn't sure. Um, and I think it's great for us to have an organization like this that is. Um, that is not species specific. That is yeah. overall fishing because we've got. I mean, look at that four point four billion dollars. I mean, it's amazing, and I think we've gotten too complacent as a society on so many of these outdoor issues. There was a real void. We needed an organization like Minfish with a with a legislative presence. Uh, we had the old Sport Fishing Congress twenty years ago, but that has that hasn't been around. So it's it's good to have these guys in the mix. Yeah. Do you think? Let me ask you this question. It's going to be a loaded big question again, no. similar to the ones earlier. I always ask you, but do you think there is a an opportunity? Um, and an, an, an imperative need right now to reinvigorate the, the conservation community in general, like new organizations like Midfish. I see Aaron Haybison here works for another younger organization, BHA, um, and, and, and really trying to bring that energy back so there's more emphasis, both politically, both industry-wise, et cetera. Without question. And when I started at Outdoor News 25 years ago, going on 26 years ago, we we had a couple of ballot initiatives that really motivated that, you know, that that the conservation community in this state really rallied around. We had Amendment 2 in 98, right, that uh, permanently protected the right to hunt and fish. And and we've also, uh, I believe that year, we also passed the uh, extension on the, uh, the lottery proceeds, the LCCMR. And then, then we got motivated for this concept of, you know, for a while we called it 316. It eventually became known as dedicated funding. Uh, early on, we called it the Missouri Plan because Missouri was the yeah. one state that, that had, uh, you know, a dedicated funding source like that through sales tax. And it took us a long time. It took us 10 years to pull that off. And I'll tell you what, the, the community was really rallying together during that period. And, and I think maybe we did take our foot off the gas a little bit after we got that done. I mean, to Mark's point that... 
um, especially with legislators looking at that pot of money like, oh, well, we, that's over. We, we took care of all that funding. Exactly. And maybe we've got a little complacent. Yeah, no, I think so. I think I think it's human nature when everybody's so busy to to say, okay, check that box. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the risk. Anytime we have a success, and I think it's something that we need to be careful of, even with some of these uh, federal programs, whether whether it's Rawa or and others, where okay, people will want to just check that box and say, okay, it's taken care of. Now we can move on to something mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. And I think the outdoors just has an increasing. Uh, level of of threats and 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 issues that are that are coming about, whether it's invasives, whether it's diseases, whether it's uh, development, any number of different issues that are that are against the the these places that need to be that need to be tackled, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, it takes dollars to do that, and it takes people. You know, a big issue that loomed there for a few years was protecting public lands. And that's really what BHA is all about, right? That's what those right. guys, that, that, that's their complete mission statement. And I really feel like that one's been beaten back pretty well. I mean, I haven't heard anything in a couple of years uh, on, on that topic. Now, that could change if the political winds swirl again, <laughs> which they might. But, uh, you know, I think I think we can put that feather in our cap right now that public lands, I'm feeling pretty good about those these days. No, I agree, and I think I think there have been some, some successes. And to that to that theme that we're talking about, you know, we've got certain you know threats tamped down relative to that, but um, but it's important to stay stay vigilant. And and mm-hmm. and I think again, like we talked about earlier, politically, a lot of these issues they're not they're not uh, in one party's camp or another. These are universal issues that are important. And uh, and we're also trying to, you know, maybe one last thing, you know, talk about here in terms of hunter numbers. Um, you know, we're trying to bring new people in. That's that's my mission in life. And and um, so question for you, maybe is along the lines of, you know, we had a COVID bump with uh, participation in the outdoors um, to to a detrimental level in some respects of general outdoors use of some of our national parks and our state parks boundary I know waters. Were the boundary waters you know so th- this year the um, forest service cut back 17% or 13% yeah, about that yeah. yeah the number of permits that was because people were going up there and being slobs yeah uh, new, exactly. new people and uh, like you say we want new people to get out but man oh man you got to behave education's key so do you think this bump we got during covid um will last and will continue to grow and there'll be this healthy uh, community of, of growth or do you think uh it's just a little blip so far the data suggests that it's been a bit of a blip yeah i think mark uh i mean i think we've seen that with some of our conservation organizations some of their memberships uh we i think we've certainly seen it with license sales yeah. uh, the past 18 months uh, now that doesn't mean those folks won't come back right it was good that they were exposed to it and you know that i guess that's on us now to keep it in their face and make sure they come back to it but i i don't think it can surprise anybody that there's a lot of other things competing for folks attention again it, w- it was pretty cool how everything was shut down and people were like well let's go outside and let's buy a dog right <laughs> right i mean oh I, I, I did a column on the uh, you know some of these uh, uh, humane societies where they, they couldn't keep a dog right i i think there's i think it's still kind of the case I mean, everyone's working from home gosh the place could use a dog um <laughs> So I obviously you're going to come off that high, right? We can go to basketball games now. We can go to baseball games. We can do a lot of these other activities that we couldn't. And so 
I, th- I think we just got to look at it as a positive, and, and uh, you know, we, we all got mailing lists now. We all, we all know who they are and where they live. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, it's been a good conversation. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I'm just uh, we should do this more often. We should do it more often, absolutely. We haven't, we haven't been... We haven't debated enough. We've been too nice to each other, yeah, Mark. Yeah, we have been. Exactly. <laughs> we'll have to find some good prickly issues to uh, debate. Are you going to get your BHA guy on with us? Yeah, or? you know, Aaron, you want to stop up? You, you, Aaron Haybison is oh, stopped by here. Arm. So, exactly, <laughs> twist his arm. Why don't you come up and tell us what's going on at BHA these days? Uh, I know there's a booth out here. And... Uh, you are. You were. You used to be a board member with me, but used to be now, just a volunteer. Now yeah, he's the real now, deal. He's yeah, the real it deal. Stuck around long enough that they just finally said, "Okay, all right, we'll get <laughs> okay, you a job." Wear him now. Wear him now. So, what's uh, congratulations on your new role as the uh, chapter coordinator for the? What are we calling this region? Right now, I mean, I would say Midwest, but if you ask somebody from Illinois or, uh, or excuse me, like in Ohio or in Indiana, then they would include themselves as well. So, I don't have a regional title. <laughs> uh, it's just chapter coordinator for Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, and Missouri. So, what's going on at BHA these days? Man, we got our fingers in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so with, with covering all these states, whether it's water access or uh, chronic wasting disease or timber management, those are all some different things happening at, you know, depending on the state level. Um, but, you know, at, we're excited about uh, Recovering America's Wildlife Act at the national level. We're excited about uh, this Grasslands Act that hopefully can get, mm-hmm. get some legs in the next uh, legislative session at the national level. So, yeah, there's, there's parts moving all over the place. Grasslands Act is something that people could reach out to their legislator on right now, sure. right? Yep. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Are you, are you well-versed on what it is? Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's very much about prairie and, and getting getting. Yeah, we've just lost ground. such a large portion of those, those grasslands and the species that live in them, uh, you know, over the last, let's say, 50 years that it's, you know, there's, we've seen a lot of success uh, in the, on the waterfall side and the wetland side. And so using sort of that same model to try and fund some of these grasslands to, to bring them back to kind of their native grass uh, wonder. And that's a, I mean, that's a good bill, a good example, I think, where there's, the reason it's getting traction and energy is a wonderful coalition of groups like BHA, Pheasants Forever, et cetera, um, working together. And I was just thinking, as we had Mark up here just a few minutes ago talking about um access relative to waters and i was glad to see you two talking yeah there a few I, ago. I had to stop him when he got off stage and said hey we you know it's, <laughs> it is it's so much about the coalition building that one group can sit and stump as hard as they can until they're blue in the face about a certain issue but in order to really kind of get some traction behind it you need to have multiple groups multiple individuals multiple legislators reaching out in support of it so let me uh, throw a, a prickly one to you. It's not so prickly, but it's just it's just sort of something. One of those issues we've talked about for a long time. Uh, Rob's wearing a, a backcountry hunters and anglers hat right All now. Right, bought it we out have, at the rendezvous. We have you as a as a backcountry hunters and anglers employee. Um, one of the things I know when I was on the board that we always talked about was I think there's a perception that um, BHA is a bunch of people that just stream fish for big. Big, uh, big stream trout, salmon out sure. west. Yeah, um, Minnesota here. You know the example, Min Fish, the the group that Mark's representing. 
more boat fishermen. You and I have talked about this before. That's the culture here. Yeah. Um, the predominant culture, even though, I mean, I love doing both. I, yeah. I always say I'm an outdoor generalist. But what would you say for somebody who's an outdoor generalist who goes, ah, I don't know if BHA is the right organization for me? When it, because because I, I, I got a I got a, a Lund, and I like going out with my electronics. I like pitching for bass. I like going after walleyes, what have you. What uh, What's what's your response to somebody yeah, like that? Yeah, I guess that? I would flip it on its head and say that that's exactly why you should join BHA is because we're not species specific. It's not focused on pheasants or ducks or elk or trout specifically. Like there's other groups doing the work really in depth for those species, but we're out there to focus on the land and access to it. And so we oftentimes partner with a lot of those groups. Um, Yeah, I'd be very excited to possibly partner with minfish on some things because it sounds like they aren't species specific for that uh, side of things and BHA yes did start out west and had that kind of this western feel to it uh, for a very long time but I think as it grows and all of the chapters that I'm working with right now are growing so that just to me shows that we are growing outside of the west and there's a lot of folks that are focusing on uh, these public lands and really kind of putting that center focus and going, yeah, you know, I, I like to do a lot of certain things, but I don't just want to put my money into elk or pheasants. I don't do it enough to feel like I'm fully invested in being part of that thing. Uh, BHA can be a place for you. Uh, I, I'm the same way. I'm total generalist, whether it's boat fishing uh, or walking streams or, you know, going out and hunting in the mountains for elk. Uh, I'll uh, anywhere anybody will take me i'm mediocre at enough different things that i can tag along Aaron, i just want to point out, we get, yeah to your point we've got some really vibrant chapters with bha in this part of the country it's been a pleasure um, part, participating in some of those uh, chapter events myself tell folks real quick you know how they can get involved tell us about some of the local chapter events that uh, perhaps people can participate in if they want to join the organization here in yeah. Minnesota or the, or the upper Midwest. Yeah. So I've been in this official capacity since March, uh, and had the opportunity to now visit all of my chapters at least a couple of times. And everybody's doing such unique work. It really kind of depends on what's happening in their state. In Minnesota, we have a fair amount of public lands and public water. Um, however, Iowa is 2% of public land and even less that's accessible. Uh, in Illinois, If you are floating a river in Illinois um, and a landowner owns an adjacent property, technically they own the water itself. Not just the riverbed underneath it, but they own the water itself. So to float a creek in Illinois, uh, you could be trespassing. And so it's kind of twofold, telling people in Minnesota, hey, we have this really great access to public lands through water or access to public water, but in uh, you know, some of these other places use them as a cautionary tale. You know, it's ours until it's not. Yeah. And as soon as it kind of goes away, uh, you know, then, then there's a lot harder to get it back. So getting to learn what's happening in these other states uh, and, and the issues that they kind of focus on, whether it's water access or chronic wasting disease, um, you know, land access, like we had at Lacquaparle a couple of years ago. It's just really fun to see what each chapter really engages on uh, on these issues. So for example, obviously Minnesota's out here. Uh, we're up on Waterfowler Hill. If you haven't swung by, please swing by and talk to us uh, about some of the other work that Minnesota's doing. Um, we, uh, we've just kind of come off of a really busy uh, last, I guess, probably six weeks. Uh, we've had the Wisconsin rendezvous. We've had the Iowa rendezvous. 
Uh, we've got trade shows in both Minnesota and Illinois and Missouri. So I've kind of been bouncing all over. I just moved to a new house in, mm, can't even remember, uh, April. Uh, <laughs> but uh, people say, how's the new house going? I was like, well, I hear it's nice. Like, I haven't been there. Uh, so I'm, I'm really enjoying Good. getting to <laughs> visit a lot of these places. Hopefully, our goal right now, I guess the next, next biggie um, will be our winter rendezvous sometime beginning of 2023, which uh, we had our first kind of inaugural winter rendezvous last year, and it was a blowout. Yeah. It was amazing. We had I a remember. great event up on the water. We had a dark house spearing that Mark led. Uh, we had a wild game cook-off, which then... So it wasn't perfect. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the cooking competition then uh, winner... Uh, say wins that competition then they win the right to compete at our national rendezvous which is happening out in Missoula Montana so it's a really cool program that we've got kind of as a feeder and then uh, well the last two years uh, the Minnesota chapter has taken home that national title that's right um, which makes it even cooler that they had to earn that right to win back in to to compete for it so uh, some really cool events whether you are interested in food whether you're interested in upland hunting duck hunting fishing uh, we really try and uh, hear from our members and what, what they like to do and then try and cater to what their interests are and have events focused around those things. That's great. The yeah. website is backcountryhunters.org? Backcountryhunters.org. Yep. Good. Awesome. And then you can go to the, whatever chapter, whatever state you're in and connect right to your local chapter. Yep, absolutely. So, awesome. Well, thanks for stopping thanks, by, Aaron. Good to see you, Aaron. Thanks, guys. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, Rob, let's let's do uh, Best Outdoor News again here sometime and get into some uh, yeah. get into some uh, tougher topics and yeah. have some debates. Yeah, we got to wind down because uh, there's going to be another seminar where we're broadcasting yeah. from in a few minutes. But a uh, minutes. any closing thoughts, Mark? I've, I got one real quick. Yeah. Which is... I want everybody to make sure folks understand. The legislative session this past year was a disaster. Okay, Mark Holston was here, and, and he, you know, he didn't put it quite that way. But uh, you may have heard it's, it's political season. Uh, we got people coming to our doors, knocking, uh, trying to get their votes. This is a really prime time to tell politicians or folks running for office to support the outdoors, support uh, some of the DNR funding we talked about, hatcheries, uh, public accesses, public lands. If, if you've got an outdoor priority that you think a politician needs to be responsive to, now's the time to get after them and, and get them on record. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think that's that's a good way to leave it as uh, as a call to action for everyone. Yeah, so. we, we can't have another session like the one we just had. No, that was really it was bad. bad. Yeah. It was bad. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, and uh, yeah, we'll, thank uh, you. We'll do it again soon. Yeah. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for listening to the Modern Carnivore Podcast. You can continue the journey by going to modcarn.com. 